1: And you remember how the sons of Jacob, in verse 1, they would not go down to Egypt because they might meet their brother who they despised and rejected. Well, in Jewish evangelism, we are like the travelers who've come from Egypt and we've been fed by Joseph. And in Jewish evangelism, we're going out of our way To tell the Jewish people that our Joseph, the Lord Jesus Christ, has fed us, and he has plenty of food for you too. And just like Jacob's sons, who would not go down to Egypt because they might meet Joseph, who they were prejudiced against, and they despised and rejected Joseph, in the same way, we understand why the Jewish people do not come in masses to the Lord Jesus Christ, Uh, You know, we'll probably knock on a million, close to a million doors this summer. So far, we've had one conversion. That'll probably be all, but who knows, you know. Apart from that, it's a very successful campaign. (laughs) Why? Because they're prejudiced against the Lord Jesus Christ. They've despised and rejected him as being their God and their Messiah. They said, we will not have that man reign over us. And so, just as these sons of Jacob did finally go down to Egypt, and get food from Joseph, we know that one day, the Jewish people will come to the Lord Jesus Christ. So it's like we're traveling, and we're going to Jacob's family, and we're giving them maps in Jewish evangelism. We're giving them maps. This is the way you go down to Egypt. This is how you find your way to Joseph, and so you can get the food so you'll live. And that's all we're doing in Jewish evangelism, is giving the Jewish people spiritual maps so that, which tell them how they can come to the Lord Jesus Christ and be safe from their sins and live forever. Now you remember that when the Egyptians bowed to Joseph, remember what it said in Genesis 41, 43, when it says, and he made him, that's Joseph, to ride in the second chariot which he had, Pharaoh did this, and they cried before him, bow the knee, and he made him ruler over all the land of Egypt. So the Egyptian people bowed the knee, To Joseph but when Joseph's brothers come we don't read they bowed the knee in verse 6 we read they bowed down themselves before him with their faces to the earth (laughs) they put their faces in the dirt ground before Joseph and notice how the statement in verse 6 calls them Joseph's brethren Joseph's brethren bowed down to him now that's very significant because they are called Joseph's brethren as they bow to him because that is showing their relationship to Joseph who is now their judge. He's standing as the judge over those that he is related or let's say tied to. Tied to because of birth. And this picture of Joseph as the judge over his brothers that he's tied to because of birth this shows us what it's like when all men stand before the Lord Jesus Christ, to judge, and at that time, the Lord Jesus Christ will judge them as he is tied to them. What do I mean? How is the Lord Jesus Christ tied to them? Because of John 1.3. John 1.3, which says, All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Psalm 24.1 is a very important statement when it says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. He owns them. He made them. He owns them. John 1.10 says, He was in the world, the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. Every person is tied to or related to, so to speak, to the Lord Jesus Christ because every person has been made by him. And when he, the Lord Jesus, like Joseph, stands to judge every person, it's like Joseph is judging those that are tied to him as his brothers. And that's why there's such a war on creation. And that's why evolution is so passionately fought for. Because it's man's feeble attempt to try to break the tie of creation, of how God, how the Lord Jesus is related to all men through creation, how he's related, how he's over all men, how they own him. And so adhering to this lie of evolution, they call it a theory, I call it a lie, but it's a feeble attempt to cast his position as judge over them by being tied or related because he created them, and instead they just say, we weren't created, we just happened over billions and billions of years from subtle changes that started from a one-cell microorganism in some slime pit somewhere. And I know we laugh, right? God laughs too. God laughs at that in Psalm 2. Psalm 2 verse 1, it says, Why do the heathen rage and imagine a vain thing, or imagine a foolish thing? That's a really foolish thing I just said about the microorganisms. Why do they imagine that? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his Messiah, saying... Let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. He shall have them in derision. Now, we read in verse 7, Joseph saw his brethren and he knew them. Those are very impactful words. Very impactful words for Joseph when it says he saw his brethren and he knew them. You know, it doesn't mean that, you know, Joseph notices brothers. Oh, I recognize that's my brothers. Oh, yeah, that one, that's Reuben, Simeon and all. You know, he didn't, that's not what it means. What it means when it says he saw and he knew them is that you can just see him stopping and gazing at them. And as he's gazing, he's percolating in his mind, he's thinking, and he's looking at each one, and he goes, oh, boy, I can't believe it. Here they all are as the group. What a familiar group that was to me. (laughs) Here they all are as a group. Here they all are as individuals within the group. It means his mind is being carried back to remember the last time when he saw them as the group, when they betrayed him and they sold him as a slave. And now he remembers all the vivid details and all the dynamics, and there were a lot of dynamics, between the brothers as individuals that made up this group. And he sees them all with their individual personalities. And it's all coming back to him as he sees this. And he's all it's all going back to Genesis 37, verse 19. Genesis 37:19, And he's remembering when they said one to another, Behold, this dreamer cometh. Come now, let us clay him. Cast him into some pit. And we will say, Some evil beast hath devoured him. We shall see what would become of his dreams. He didn't hear that because he was still a way off. But nevertheless, he saw it in their faces. And then Reuben heard it in verse 21 of Genesis 37. Reuben heard it. He delivered him out of their hands and said, let us not kill him. Reuben said unto him, shed no blood, but cast him into this pit that's in the wilderness. They lay no hand upon him that he might rid him out of their hands to deliver him to his father again. It came to pass when Joseph was coming to his brethren, they stripped Joseph out of his coat, his coat of many colors that was on him. And they took him and lay, Cast him into a pit, and the pit was empty. There was no water in it. They sat down to eat bread. See, as Joseph now is looking at this group of his brothers, Joseph remembers how they all, as a group, stripped him of his coat. And as a group, they cast him into that pit, that waterless pit, in the desert to die. And as a group, they sat down to eat bread. In total disregard to his cries, and Joseph remembers this group as he sees them. And he's got this opportunity to see the group together again. He remembers all these vivid details. And then he looks at Reuben. And he remembers that there was something different about Reuben. Because he just didn't seem as engaged as the rest of that group. And he wondered, maybe Reuben may have come back. Try to deliver me to my father. And then it says, in verse, it keeps on going to verse 37, verse... That's chapter 37, verse 25. And they lifted up their eyes and looked, and behold, a company of Ishmaelites came from Gilead, their camels bearing spicery balm, murray, going down to Egypt. Judah said unto his brethren, what profit is it if we slay our brother and conceal his blood? Come now, come and let us sell him to the Ishmaelites. Let not our hand be upon him. He's our brother in our flesh. And so now Joseph, we can see him as the group before him. He's now turned his eyes to Judah. And he remembers hearing Judah make this proposal. Let's make some money on this, boys. Let's sell him. And then we don't have to go to the bother of trying to conceal his blood or his bones or whatever is left here. And Joseph looks, can you see Joseph looking at Judah now? Can you see him just kind of really gazing and wondering and all these thoughts? And he's thinking to himself, Judah, how could you have made that proposal about me? And they don't know. And then it said, in the last part of Genesis 37, verse 27, it says, And his brethren were content. And now Joseph returns his eyes to look at the group again and wonders, How all of you could have been content? How could you all have been in agreement to sell me as a slave? And then Genesis 37, verse 28, They're passed by Midianites, merchantmen, and they drew and lifted up Joseph out of the pit, And sold Joseph to the Ishmaelites for 20 pieces of silver. And Joseph now again looks at the group and remembers my last sight of you is when you lifted me out of the pit. And I remembered seeing you bargain with the Ishmaelites for the price of the 20 pieces of silver. I remember seeing the silver transfer. I don't know, maybe he saw them at that point saying, okay, here's so much for you, so much for you, so much here, we're gonna divide up all up there and now it's pretty good we did this, huh? That was the last time he saw his brothers as a group and here they are again. Probably Benjamin, when all that took place, wasn't with them. he was probably kept at home because by his father, he was a young guy. But now he sees the exact same group that he saw all together with all their brotherly personalities and dynamics playing out right in front of him. That's a little spooky. <laughs> See all that, you know? And he remembers that all this, he saw the group there together, and they're all in front of him. Okay, then we read what Joseph did as he gazed his brothers. In verse seven, Joseph saw his brethren. He knew them. He made himself strange unto them spake roughly unto them, said unto them, whence come ye they said from the land of Canaan to buy food. He makes himself strange to them. He speaks roughly to them. Why? Why didn't Joseph say, hey boys, it's me, it's Joseph. You know. Why do you think he spoke roughly to his brothers? Why do you think? Was it revenge? <laughs> like, well, I've been waiting for this for a while. <laughs> it wasn't revenge, was it? As a matter of fact, Joseph viewed what they did to him as ascending by God. When he speaks in uh, Genesis 45, 5, Genesis 45, 5, he will say, Now, therefore, be not grieved nor angry with yourselves that you sold me hither, for God did send me before you to preserve life. God sent me before you to preserve life. Genesis 45, 7, Genesis 45, 7. God sent me before you to preserve you a posterity in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance so joseph sees himself as being sent by god before his brethren to preserve their lives and what was goshen to make a place for them to make it. does that remind you of something does that remind you of something How about John 14, 2? John 14, 2. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. He went before them to prepare a place for them. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again, receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. That's the Lord Jesus. He went, like Joseph, before us, before Joseph, before his brethren, to prepare food, a place for them, don't you think that Joseph was thinking? My, uh, when I collect all this foods, yes, it's for the Egyptians, yes, for the world, but it's also for my family. So, just as Joseph went before his brothers to save them and prepare a place for them, so the Lord Jesus goes before us to save and to prepare a place for us in His Father's house. Now, why He spoke roughly with them was He was taking a very strong position as a judge. And he was really applying the pressure to interrogate them because he wanted information. There were some things he didn't know. Like, why is Benjamin not here? What happened to my full brother, huh? Did you get rid of Benjamin like you wanted to get rid of me? So, you know, he knew his brothers were very good at lying. They were actually very good at lying. And he wanted to find out the truth about what happened to Benjamin So he knows that, well, there's one way to find out. I'll play the role of the rough judge. So he's got a better chance of getting the truth out of them. And so that's what he's doing. So that's one reason. And also, he's helping to bring his brothers to repentance. Because his goal is to bring his brothers to a full perception, a full understanding, a full consciousness of their guilt so they could be relieved of their sin. Because there's no relief. Until there first comes a consciousness of guilt, and then a confession of sin, and then a forsaking of sin. As it says in Proverbs twenty-eight thirteen, he that covereth his sin shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh, them shall have mercy. Now we read an overview of the scene in verse 8. Joseph knew his brethren, they knew him not. How old was Joseph when they last saw him? He's about 17 years old. How old is Joseph now? He's about 33. About 33. So how many years is that? You think he's 40? Oh, that's right, because I forgot about the years of plenty. Okay, so they last saw him when he's 17, and now he's 40. Does a person change a lot from when they're 17 to 40? <laughs> they change a lot. <laughs> okay. He's grown up. He's 40 years old. He's an old man, practically. And, but No, not really. But he's different. He's grown up. He looks and he speaks like an Egyptian. And he has an interpreter that he uses. I don't know how that interpreter knew Hebrew. Probably he taught him Hebrew. I don't know. But anyway. But when we read this summary in verse 8, that Joseph knew his brethren they didn't know him. Does that remind you of some summary? In John, John 1, 10, maybe? Like I quoted a little earlier, he was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. See, that's the Lord Jesus. He was in the world; the world was the creator. He's the creator of the world, and the world doesn't recognize him. Here they are standing in front of the ruler. He knows them; they don't know him. Now, when Joseph saw his brothers bow down to him, then it says in verse nine, he remembered the dreams which he dreamed of them. Boy, that's something. He's there bowing down to him and he's remembering that his sheaf arose and their sheaves came around his sheaf and bowed down. He's remembering the sun, the moon, the stars, the 11 stars bowing down to him. Those are the big beholds in Genesis 37, verse seven, Genesis 37, seven, and Genesis 37, nine, 37, nine. And he remembers all that. It's been a long time. So it's been a long time since that's happened. And now they're bowing down to him. And now, as part of the rough talk, as part of the rough talk, he now makes a very serious accusation when he said to them in verse nine, You are spies to see the nakedness of the land, land are you come. That's a very serious accusation. Spies were very common in those days. Remember, Moses and Joshua, they sent out spies before they conquered a city. Why? So that they could devise a battle plan by taking into account, is the city, or where is, is the city, or where is the city fortified and protected, and where are the most vulnerable parts of the city? Where are they? And that's how Moses and Joshua, that's how they devised their attack plan their best routes of attack based on the spies' reports. And in those days, if any foreigner was caught drawing the city, that was the end of that foreigner, he was assumed to be a spy and the penalty was death. And so this is a very serious accusation that he's made. Now, why do you think Joseph called them spies? Let me put it this way. Can you think of any time when the brothers called Joseph a spy? Yeah, in Genesis 37-2, it says that he was with the sons of Bilhah and with the sons of Zilpah, Joseph was his father's wives, and Joseph brought unto his father their evil report. So here he is, he's a young guy, and he's with his brothers, and his brothers were up to some evil, we're not told what it was. But Joseph immediately goes and tells his father. So Joseph is labeled by his brothers as a spy. He's a spy. They they probably said to him, you are a spy. I don't know what nakedness they would have saw, but anyway, he was a spy. And then later, when Jacob's sons were, you know, about this hundred miles away, feeding the flocks in Shechem, and Shechem was a place where they murdered all the men. That was a big evil. And then Jacob starts to worry about His back home, Jacob starts to worry about his sons. And so he sends his chief spy out, (laughs) Joseph. And he says to them in a spy mission in Genesis 37, 13, 14, says, Israel said unto Joseph, Do not thy brethren feed the flock in Shechem? Come and I will send thee unto them. And he said unto him, Here am I, he said unto him, Go, I pray thee, see whether it be well with thy brethren and well with thy flocks, and bring me word again. That's a spy. You know. So he sends him out. So again, Joseph arrives to his brothers through the pit, and they not only saw him as a dreamer that was coming to them, they saw him as dad's spy. It's Father's Day, dad's spy. So that's how the brothers viewed Joseph, as a spy. And so Joseph knew firsthand the terror of being accused of being a spy. Well, now the tables are turned. Now the tables are turned, and Joseph is now accusing them of being a spy. Whatsoever a man soweth, that also shall he reap. Now the brothers were now shocked to hear that they're being accused of being a spy, and they strongly protest with the words of verse 10. They said unto him, Nay, my lord, but to buy food are thy servants come. Now that's really something. When you see the brothers call Joseph my lord, my lord, that's quite a change for these brothers, right? Right? Because remember what they'd said in Genesis 37, 19, 37, 19, They said one to another, behold, this dreamer cometh. Now, Joseph must have just paused then when he heard them call my Lord and thought to himself, that's the first time I've ever heard my brothers call me my Lord. <laughs> I mean, Joseph, he was the one that they had despised and rejected. And now they're bowing before him and calling him my Lord. That is a scene, that is a picture of what every person who has despised and rejected the Lord Jesus Christ is gonna do, as it says in Philippians 2, 9, Philippians 2, 9, Philippians 2, 9, wherefore, God hath also highly exalted him and given him a name that is above every name, the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, things of heaven and earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God. He's Lord. That means God. That Jesus is God to the glory of God the Father. See, Isaiah forty five twenty two. Isaiah forty five twenty two is a very, very familiar verse. We've quoted it many times. Look unto me, and be ye saved all the ends of the earth. For I am God, and there is none else. Well, let me just read to you the verses after it. In verse 23 of Isaiah 45:23, Isaiah 45:23, "I have sworn by myself, "The word has gone out of my mouth in righteousness and shall not return, that unto me every knee shall bow and every tongue shall swear." And that says in the next verse, "Even to him shall men come, and all that are incensed against him shall be ashamed."
0: or you can email Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Christmas Under the Stars is back at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Christmas Under the Stars is a free family Christmas program on Saturday, December 9th from 3 p.m. to 8 p.m., Enjoy a live nativity, Christmas carolers, cookie decorating, ornament design, games, rides, petting zoos, and a dinosaur garden of lights. Family Christmas photos, holiday fair food, and astronomer star viewing and presentation by astronomer Spike sarus And a Christmas message by Friendship with God Bible teacher Tom Cantor and Free Creation Museum Admission on Saturday, December 9th from 3 p.m. to 9 p.m. For more information about Christmas under the stars and dinosaurs at the Creation and Earth History Museum in San California on Saturday, December 9th from 3 p.m. to 9 p.m. Call us at 619-599-1104. 619-599-1104 or visit the Creation Museum online at CreationsD.org. That's CreationsD.org.